This is episode one of the Go Outside podcast, and today I speak with Jack Thompson. I'm Jack Thompson. I've worked with like I've worked with the Turtle Conservancy a little bit as volunteer work. Like they and uh, a couple of my friends to come down and help move the Colonial Research Institute back in December, and I've done a little bit more than that over the past year or so but I've pretty much been extremely passionate about turtles since where do we want to awesome. okay so uh like with that um when you say like turtles and reptiles are like kind of what get you outside yes they they definitely are what get me outside like uh for example the other day it was it's I, the winter has been tough for me because it's cold and I I, I feel you man it's it's been rough. I really can't deal with winters. Uh, I went out. I'll sometimes go out seeing if I can find like turtle shells or skulls. I have tons of those, but because uh, I like kind of use those for what I do as well. But it's obviously not as good as finding live turtles. But in the winter, I don't really have another any other option. <laughs> but uh, it was two days ago. It was the first day where it was temperature was decent and i actually found a spotted turtle so that was like a breath oh, of air. wasn't the prettiest spotted turtle but hell it's a spotted turtle that's that's more than what i found up here oh uh, yeah where where are you from so like northeast ohio we we've got them around in fact uh like there's this one kid that went to the high school that i went to and he found one like over in some woods like i think 10 minutes from where i was so they're definitely around like i know the uh greater cleveland aquarium in the Cleveland Museum of Natural History they've got like a joint program but I just haven't really gone out to look for them you know I only have yeah I get that because there's they're they're tough to look for you like it there could you there could be habitat that looks like that looks perfect for them and they're just not there like it really depends and even like this spot that I found that turtle at I'd actually been going there for years and had heard of them being there but I never actually seen them until last year and this spot is literally like half, like probably a quarter the size of a football field. The tiny little vernal pool. Really? It's got like two sections. There's a, the front of it is deeper and that's where painted turtles and that's where the painted turtles prefer. There's basking logs there. It's about three feet deep. I don't see spotted on that side much because that spot side faces a bike trail. But then if you walk around the back of the vernal pool, it's uh, much shallower. It's like textbook spotted turtle habitat. And that's where you'll see them out basking and walking around this time of year it's nice yeah I, I think it's it's next to a wastewater treatment facility and i think it gets a lot of it and i wonder if that's what's responsible for why the spotted's there are just so ones they're ugly which they're spotted turtles so i still uh love them but they're nothing like what you want a normal spotted turtle to be like like they barely have any spots and they're stained a really dark red color i think that has to do with uh red like the it has to do with some kind of heavy metal that's in the water in the pollu- that's being polluted there. Didn't you uh, just find one that was like missing a foot or something? Yeah, the one I just found. Uh, he was missing. He was missing his back left foot. That's actually the first one I found there missing a limb. But to be fair, I found only about seven of them total, and gotcha. uh, probably less than that. Maybe more like five. It wasn't many and- because. Uh, they're they're kind of difficult to find they're only really going to be out in like if they'll be out in the summer if it's a really rainy day and it's not too hot 
like uh the times i find them in the summer is like the heaviest right after the heaviest rainstorms that's when they're going to be coming out and uh that's when they're active and uh, but in the springtime is kind of the best time to find them because that's when they're out and trespassing as much as they can that's when i find gotcha. them. and you've also got a like northern diamondback terrapins out your way right oh yeah i got them i actually have a spot i have a really good spot for them like it's it's one of the many state parks around the rehoboth bay that whole that area is just the rehoboth bay has a, has a good population of them and uh there's a lot of development in the bay so they've lost a lot of habitat but there's still a lot of large patches that remain and uh throughout throughout this whole area like there's all these little uh canals that have been dug through the marsh along with like natural ones I guess you'd just call them like tidal creeks. And uh, I I kind of, it's interesting. So even though the water is really muddy, it's, you can sometimes get up to about three feet of visibility in it. So I actually snorkel for them, which is an unusual technique to find terrapins. Oh, man. So uh, like I get in the water, I have this dive mask and you only really need to be able to see about a foot in front of you since this area is really it looks like a big open area of the bay, but it's actually only about three feet deep. And that's where the terrapins are. The habitat varies and depending on where you are, just this particular spot is like that. And there's like on a good day, there could be many dozens of terrapins out and I'll just snorkel. And eventually I find some, some there's so many that sometimes I'm just sitting in the water and occasionally one will crawl over my leg. That's cool. It's now, um, have you like found any uh like nesting females, or like do you know what um like the substrate that they're nesting in? Uh, oh like, yeah, what that's composed of. So, this there's a there's a spot where like a long strip of land separating the ocean, and a Delaware Seashore State Park. Everybody knows that there's terrapin there, so it's not like I'm really. Uh, there's this. It goes along this narrow strip of land that separates the bay from the ocean. And on the ocean side of the highway is, uh, what would I call it? Is the, the dunes, the prime nesting habitat. It's uh, just like sandy beach. It's like a beach sand, pretty much. And uh, on the other side is the marsh. There's really not that much sand there. So they always have to cross the four-lane highway, the nest, which is like busy year-round. And in the summer, it's mopped. So so many of them get run over and killed every year. And I've saved a That's couple rough. of them. Just, I know. Like, throughout June and July, you'll see a lot of them roadkill because this highway is many miles long. The state has taken some efforts to fix that. They've, like, put up fences so the terrapins can't cross. Like, uh, they're about two feet tall. And they have, uh, like, it's like a black plastic kind of. I think if, if you know what I'm talking about, they sometimes put it in yeah, construction yeah. sites. But recently, they just dug that up and put a new fence in, but they, they haven't finished it yet, so I'm not sure what's going to be in it. But uh, gotcha. they have also moved sand to the marsh side so that they can nest there and they don't have to cross the highway, which seems like the, a more reliable option. Because uh, if the terrapins, they'll find a way to get over this wall because it's, like, it's many miles long, unless, if it's, unless it's made of concrete or some really tough material, they're eventually going to find a way to get across or they might uh, just dump their eggs in a random spot. So it's best to just the better course of action that the state has taken is creating uh, more dunes on the marsh side. Gotcha. Now with the sand, is it more of like a 
fine or like a grainy uh, kind of sand? It's a fairly fine sand. It's not like the the most fine, but it's I wouldn't really say it's that grainy either. Like uh, it's kind of an average texture. Like if you're to buy sand from like like if you go and buy a like play sand, yeah, it's about that texture. texture. And uh, the dunes can get really big too. Some of them are like twenty or thirty feet tall. Really, yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting like habitat. So there's like the the straight up beach on one side. The beach goes for a couple hundred feet of of like flattened sand before you get to the dunes. And the dunes are all protected habitat because it's extremely important for seabirds. And uh, believe it or not, I've actually found other turtles there too. Box turtles aren't that surprising, but this narrow strip of land is like miles from any fresh water, and it's really it's between the Atlantic Ocean and the bay. But there's a pocket of fresh water there that's like barely the size of my room, and I found mud turtles and snappers in it, which is uh, that's cool. crazy. Plus, we found box turtles in the dunes surrounding it, so other turtles seem to be surviving there. You've also got a northern red-bellied cooters like the Sudemi's Rubra Ventress, like where you're at, oh, right? Yeah. I've got a couple spots that are good for those. I've seen them. Uh, I have the shell and a skull of one, too. But, really? Uh, yeah, and I, I actually have a couple because I found a, a huge female that was roadkill last summer. So I salvaged the shells uh, crushed with the skulls intact. And uh, what's the... mm-hmm. oh, my bad. Carry on. Oh, you're good. What did you say? Oh, I was just wondering, like, of the um, of like the red belly cooters, what's the largest one that you found? So red belly cooters get large, I'd say. Probably the biggest I've seen is about 12 inches, 12 or 13, 13 maybe. But uh, they don't get as large as some of the cooters in the south. Like the river cooter gets really big. The Like the Suwannee cooter, it's a type of river cooter, gets like 17 inches. While uh, most red belly cooters I find are 8 to 11 or so. Which is a pretty good size for a, a cooter, but they're not the largest or the smallest of them. But some of the females yeah, can get pretty pretty high domed even though we don't have uh not as much as in the southern cooters but they can still get like very thick shells and be, actually be pretty heavy even if they're only about 10 or 11 inches i've found uh, a couple big females like that they just get more uh more domed the older they get but they're very impressive and they're really common here i'm in like the heart of their range like here in jersey What's the weirdest or like maybe the most unique kind of place that you found uh, one of the northern red belly cooters? So uh, I see them in a lot of typical habitats, but uh, I found them in some odd places. Like I found one uh, in a neighborhood pretty far from any permanent water source. Like it was technically I didn't find it, but it was in uh, one of my friend's houses. They live in this one neighborhood. And uh, they said they just found it walking around in their yard. And I'm like, I think it probably, there's a stream or something not too far, but it has to be at least like a half mile or so. I think this turtle was wandering, because this was in the summer, I think it was looking for a place to nest and just wandered really far, eventually made it into their yard. But uh, cooters, the cooters are significantly larger than the painted turtles. And those are the two turtles here that are like baskers. Every, all the other turtles are more, or more uh, secretive. So almost all the logs you're going to see in like good habitat here is going to have like a ton of Eastern painteds and then a good number of the cooters. But it seems roughly every spot for every like one cooter, there's like five to 10 painteds. 
but uh, they're so large. There's such a size difference between the two, and their diet and habitat preference is slightly different that they don't seem to have any kind of competition. Have you seen like any uh, non-native species in any of your spots? Like, yes, uh, I have. Ready to slide. The there's story. this one uh i've seen sliders at two spots i've there's this one uh pond in the middle of uh rehoboth it's fairly famous for this there's a footbridge that crosses it and uh people go there all the time to throw uh food in for the turtles and people have clearly been releasing turtles there for decades because like 60 percent of the turtles there are red sliders and i actually caught a western painted turtle there too so that's yeah that, we're like hundreds of miles from the nearest populations of both of those species and uh but the red belly cooters are actually pretty they're doing pretty good in that pond painteds and painteds are in there too but there's also snapping turtles of course and uh i do have a spot in uh if you want to hear about big snapping turtles in northern delaware there's this uh this really big creek that runs up into pennsylvania too it's like it's fed by the mountains so uh, it's kind of, it's really clear, it's it's rocky, and it's uh, about, it averages three to six feet deep, so it's like the perfect snorkeling river, and uh, last summer I was snorkeling it, and we, like, in, uh, I've only, actually, I've only snorkeled it twice, and the first day I snorkeled it, we caught uh, three snapping turtles, and a bunch of uh, painteds and a musk turtle, but the two, two of the snapping turtles we caught were adult males, and they were both huge. Like, one of them had a carapace length of 18 inches and was about 50 pounds. Jesus. Yeah, that's big. And the other male we measured at 16 inches. And he was noticeably lighter, but that's still large for a snapper. The other third snapper we found was uh, a juvenile in an offshoot of the creek. And it was only, the juvenile was only about three inches in carapace length. But uh, the painteds I caught there, all, I only caught three, but they were all huge. They were big females, about seven inches or so. For a painted, that's that's big. Most painteds are like four or five or so. Gotcha. Now, um, are there any like uh, species that can be turtles or salamanders or whatever that you haven't found that you're uh, looking to find here, like as the weather warms so up? So this year, I'm looking to find bog turtles in uh, in New Jersey is my best bet because there's two populations of them in Delaware. I don't know where they are. I just know that both of them are on private property and protected by the state. So there's no point in trying to look for those unless I have connections with the state. But uh, gotcha. I have some connections with people in uh, the Turtle Conservancy and the Turtle Room. And we're going to we might go looking for uh, bog turtles this coming spring. Like, I think they know a few spots in Jersey for them. But uh, Jersey has a lot of good populations of bog turtles like. Overall, like the bog turtles' entire range, there's supposed to be like less than 200 known populations, and the wild, uh, the total population of all of those combined is supposed to be like could be anywhere from 2,500 to 10,000 individuals, maybe more, maybe less. But they're just secretive turtles, and they rarely reach high densities. So, yeah, and they're they're so habitat specific; they're just tough to find. But they are like the holy grail of northeastern turtles yeah would you find any uh well as far as like their habitat goes does it differ well how does it differ from uh, that of like your north american spotted so turtles? that's actually a good question the bog turtles they're a lot more specific they in inhabit uh acidic bogs and fens which are like a really specific kind of habitat that requires 
a certain amount of forest and like clean water flowing into it and uh, invasive vegetation can often take it over and basically grow and completely destroy it and that's a serious threat to it along with deforestation filling it in it's just so vulnerable to being uh destroyed by development that that has shrunk most of their range plus uh they just really don't for whatever reason they're they only inhabit that habitat like they're really hardy turtles in captivity they do well they reproduce well they live long they have a really uh good attitudes they get used to people quick it's just in the wild they are only adapted to live in those very specific habitats which oftentimes have only a little bit of water in them like uh a couple inches to a foot or so the turtles will be in the water but they'll spend a lot of time burrowed in the vegetation as well because your average bog turtles are going to be two and a half to four inches in carapace length the record is not much more than that so they really don't they don't get big at all they're extremely small they average smaller than the musk turtles here but uh spotted turtles are very similar to bog turtles in uh their habitat preference it's just spotted turtles are, are a little bit less specialized and inhabit uh vernal pools as well as vernal pools and ditches and habitats that are still water but they're not as doesn't have to be just like acidic bogs like the bog turtle while uh, those though you will find spotted turtles with bog turtles that's very common uh, you often find those two species together because the habitat that bog turtles like is also really really good for spotted so those are two species you tend to find together. If there's uh, bog turtles, you're probably going to have spotted turtles nearby. That's uh, one thing I know about. Gotcha. Have you been uh, like down south uh, looking for alligator snappers? Or I actually you, have, um, you I have to get down there. I'm planning on going, to, uh, going down there. I'm going down to Florida, not next week, but the week after. I'm meeting up with a few people. We're going to try and uh, walk some creeks and see if we find any. And we're going to snorkel a couple springs. And uh, we're definitely going to see a lot of turtles. But nice. And then this summer, I want to look for some alligator snappers in uh, Georgia and a couple other states. That's uh, been a huge goal of mine for a while to see a lot of the there's, – there's two different species. There was three, but uh, the third species has now been synonymized with the western again. But uh, – you have the Swanee species, which is in the Swanee River drainage. It actually, both of the size records belong to that species, the largest male and female. But uh, which the largest male could have been around 200 pounds in the wild. It was huge. The carapace length was 31 inches and the skull was, I'm not really, I'm not even exaggerating. Its skull is about as big as a basketball. I've seen this uh, specimen in person. Not, it's, it died a long time ago, but the shell and skull are in uh the Peter Pritchard's collection. So it's the, it's skull is larger than a human skull. It's just huge, but yeah, Jeez. I'm excited to look for them this summer. I've been, I've been down South and caught a couple species of turtles down there. The more common ones, Florida red belly cooters and uh, peninsula cooters. The Florida soft shells probably been my favorite though, because I just don't have soft shells near me. So soft shells in general are just so new really? as far as like seeing them in person. Well, down there, have you found any of the uh, loggerheads or like Those the striped neck musk turtles? Mine. I haven't actually. I technically did see loggerheads back in December because we, uh, me and a couple friends, snorkeled uh, Wakaiwa Springs, and uh, Wakaiwa doesn't have a big population of them though. It has uh, 
better population of common snappers in Florida softshells. Like there's a couple 50 pound Florida softshells in Wakaiwa that have been recorded there. Those are some big Florida softshells. And, uh, but we did catch three loggerheads. We caught uh, two juveniles and then a young adult male. So we didn't catch any that were adults with like the really big megacephalic heads. But uh, the juvenile, they were still really fun to see because I'd never seen any other uh, Sternotherus. I'm used to just the common musk. So I was like dying to see more musk turtles. And that was a, that was a breath of fresh air. But uh, one spring in uh, two weeks, I'm hoping to snorkel Itchituckney Springs which is like one of, the, I think it's the biggest spring. Uh, I think the head spring is the biggest and most powerful spring in the whole region. And uh, I'm looking to see a lot of loggerhead musks there. Are there um, any like targets outside of the United States? Um, high up on your bucket list that you're oh, open yeah. to see at um, some point? Obviously a focus for mine is uh, the Galapagos, but uh, yeah. The Galapagos, oh, the tortoises there, I, I know a ton about. I could go on and on. I've got most of the books that have been published about them. Uh, the first, one of the first major reviews of them was published in 1915. I have that book too, or a reprint of it. And uh, then you had Peter Pritchard's book in the 90s, which is a, a good one. And then they, in November, last November, uh, a bunch of organizations collaborated and produced a, a new Galapagos tortoise book, which is by far the best one out there dozens of authors worked on it it's got about like i think it's like 600 pages it's a good book but uh yeah that that's obviously one i really want to see and uh probably uh well pretty much so many other turtles but yeah, so yeah much i feel you on that world. one i know uh i think some of the like if raffidus isn't extinct by the time i get out there i really want to see uh see them i know they just rediscovered they just proved that one of the turtles and dong mo is a female which is really good because we have a couple the other couple ones we know are males so we just are like all right we need to know if this one is a female so now it's just a matter of getting them to breed because i know uh i have pritchard's raffidus book too so i've read so much about uh the young suit giant soft shell just like a legendary turtle i know the largest recorded one in the book was 392 pounds but it's thought they could get larger than that but that's still like incomprehensibly huge for a, a turtle like that's bigger than most turtles in the world including most of the world's sea turtles like the only ones that can consistently get bigger than that are uh, green sea turtles and uh leatherbacks everything else is average is smaller than 400 pounds <laughs> but yeah that's one i really want to see and the narrow-headed soft shells you've ever you heard of those right they're huge like yeah, I mean, they yeah. get the largest ones have carapace lengths of almost 50 inches and can weigh like 350 or 400 pounds. So those are turtles. And they actually have decent sized populations left in some areas in India and Thailand. So those are turtles I really want to see. What about uh, Australia? I know that they've got some, some cool stuff yeah. like the Fitzroy River turtles. I myself, I've got a group of uh, the Murray That's River cool. turtles. There's all sorts of, like the Emmy Dura LC. Whole bunch of cool stuff. Is there anything uh, on list? The fly river turtle is one I really want to see. I know uh, I talked to Scott Thompson, an Australian uh, turtle uh, herpetologist, and he's also he's also a taxonomist too. He's described a lot, done a lot of work down there, and uh, he's the curator. He was the curator at the Colonial Research Institute, so I talked to him there, 
And he told me that he thinks the fly river turtle is actually a complex of three different species, like the alligator snapping turtle, because they inhabit a couple rivers in, they inhabit two rivers in Northern Australia. The Dowley River is one. I forgot the other one. And then they inhabit a bunch of rivers in New Guinea. So he's thinking there's two from Australia and at least one from New Guinea that they just, they're a cryptic species. But uh, I would love, because the habitats they live in are almost always habitats you can snorkel. They like clear, sandy and clear, rocky rivers. So those are perfect habitats to, uh, to snorkel in with them. And they get pretty big. The record, uh, I think the largest one listed in freshwater turtles of Australia is a carapace length of like 25 inches, weighed like 50 pounds. So those and a lot of the Emidura I want to see too, because some of those Emidura get massive heads. Like, yeah, like the the um, the Australis, like, um, and I think also um, like there's the yeah, Emidura Victoria, or probably butchered that, but like up, up yeah, North Australia, Australis get really big heads. Just it's uh, just like the megacephaly you see in the map turtles here. And uh, megacephaly occurs in so many different turtles, and it's interesting because it has some, it has to have some kind of genetic basis. But like you'll see in some turtles, only some individuals develop it, so it seems to be environmentally based too. Like depending on if they are consuming a large amount of of hard shelled organisms, depends on will influence their head size. Like uh, Emidura crefti amodi, which is the Cooper's Creek turtle, it gets a massive heads like the biggest the largest recorded one was a carapace length of like 13 inches or something but the head size was like roughly about that of a baseball so yeah it's crazy that's comparable to like the barber's map turtle here which the barber's map turtle is like the ultimate map turtle they're the biggest and they have the biggest most extreme heads so yeah those australian turtles there's a lot to see What about a well, excluding the galops, anything else in like uh, yeah. South America uh, that tie up on your list? I'm working with uh, you know, Michael, Michael Skipstead. He's a kid, he's like yeah, one of my yeah. best friends. We are working on kind of compiling data about the yellowfoot tortoises because there's a huge size difference in them, like, and it's not as there's not really a clear answer as to why. So, the record size yellowfoot tortoises, there's, a, there's two of them. There's a female at the St. Louis Zoo and a male. And the female's carapace length is 37 inches, and uh, she weighs 200 pounds. And the male is 34, and is like 150. That's huge. But they're, they're not exactly outliers like the female is. Like, she beats any other I've seen by a solid four inches at, in carapace length. But I have seen others in the 30 to 34-inch range come out of uh, South America and the, deep in the rainforests. And they, you see some in the 20 inches, of course, like 20 or 28 but most yellowfoots you see in captivity are like 16 inches and weigh like 20 pounds. They're like nothing like these almost Galapagos sized giants that occasionally are found. So that's something we're working on is because it's not, it doesn't seem to be correlated that much with geographic location, nor do these giants seem to grow in captivity. It's really unknown. We're just trying to figure out why, why some of them get so large and some of them are much smaller. Like some of them like those some of them get so big that you would barely be able to pick them up if at all and then some of them stay roughly the size of like a smaller tortoise it's interesting so that's really sorry go on. now uh so with like the um yellow belt well uh, christ i can't speak 
um with those do you have like any uh like high like color variation like you do with your bolivian red foot like know, is there uh, any regions where you get more, like high they're a lot more uh they stay roughly the same throughout their range but the yellow foots so there's the red foots their ge- their geographic uh, variation is much more well defined like once you get into like paraguay and bolivia like the redfoots down there, they actually get much bigger. Like the largest redfoots have carapace lengths of about 24 inches, and the biggest one weighed like 60 pounds. So, like from uh, that size, isn't that uncommon in uh, Paraguay? It's like there's a lot of dry thorn forests that they live in down there, and they live in giant anteater, not anteater. Uh, what's the word? Armadillo, giant armadillo burrows. But uh, the yellowfoots don't seem to vary as much in color. They look roughly the same throughout their range, which is like. They live throughout most of the Amazon basin, which is a huge region of South America. <laughs> and uh, South America has a lot of interesting turtles. Obviously, uh, the Mata Mata. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, mine. Expansa. They get, they get so big. They actually oh, get, uh, I, I believe, like, this is just my, my opinion, kind of based in fact here, is that they get larger that they're capable of getting larger than alligator snappers in the wild. Cause I know they obviously get much larger shells, but uh, their extremities are much smaller. So they don't weigh as much as an alligator snapper, like for the shell length, but uh, the largest like recorded shell length for a giant river turtle in South America, it's like 39 inches, but there's like been anecdotal reports of as large as 45 inches or so. So 45 inches that would weigh like 200 to 250 pounds. So if they, I don't, like, they used to have massive populations that were, like, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of turtles throughout the river. They've been severely depleted in a lot of areas now. But I'm like, if there used to be that many of them, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple big females would push the limits with the size. No, I'm not sure, like, the exact range, and I'm probably going to butcher the scientific name here, but I think it's, like, paletto shellies, like the uh, Amazon big-headed turtle. Do you have any? uh, Peltocephalus. uh, They're they're interesting. So you have, they're, uh, they can get pretty large. Like, I think they can get carapace length of almost 20 inches, like the biggest ones, but they tend to be smaller than that. And they have a, their head is really big, and they have powerful jaws. And uh, they seem to be able to develop megacephaly, kind of like musk turtles and map turtles, but they don't eat mollusks. They eat really thick-shelled uh, seeds and nuts, and they, their jaws are huge and strong to crack them open. But uh, Dick Vogt, actually, he was a turtle conservationist. He just died recently, and uh, he reported that he, he had watched one. They, like, villagers had just caught one, and uh, it actually bit the kneecap off of a nine-year-old girl. Because it's that's how they're oh, very Christ. they're very aggressive. If you, if you catch them and pick them up, their first instinct is to bite. And a big one like like a full grown one can be like you know, like your average full grown one's probably going to be like fifteen inches or so. So it's going to have a pretty fierce like pretty formidable bite. So I don't necessarily doubt what he said. If they're designed to crack through really tough uh, seeds and nuts, then they I don't doubt that they could crack through bone too. Do they have like that? Um, like the I guess giant uh tail that you see in like your body no, stern on, like your Chinese big-headed turtles, or like uh, not really. Big-headed turtle, which is Erymnachelys, 
which they're in the same family, but uh, Arim Achilles is obviously from the other side of the world, and uh, it's the only old world member of that family, yeah. which the rest are in South America, which is Podocnum today, which is Podocnumus and uh, Peltocephalus, Podocnumus of the giant river turtles, which Expansug is the one we just talked about that gets really big. Then Onifilus can get large too, like I think 24 inches or so, like, but not nearly as big as Expansa, but still pretty big. And then uh, the rest aren't all that large. I think Luyanica is fairly large, which is like a critically endangered turtle from the Magdalena River system. And then you have, uh, which one is it? Erythrocephala. It's like the smallest podocnumus. It's like eight inch carapace length, eight to 12 inches. It's pretty small. But it's a uh, bright red on the sides of the head, and it tends to live in shallow or slow-moving habitats. It's interesting. So, uh, like, as far as uh, like the outdoors and mental health, it like you can definitely tell just um, talking to you here oh, that it's like exactly. probably makes you feel good. Probably That's like helps you, you know, feel <laughs> better about for. yourself or whatever. It's, I it's like any uh, makes life worth it. Yeah, to me. going outside and just seeing like turtles and it, turtles is the main thing for me, but in reptiles in general. But it's like the context to just nature and the, all of the wildlife that you get that you can see and be a part of and just come into contact with when you're out there. It's like it's just so like what I just like say if I'm at, like whenever I'm in a big city or an area with a ton of people, it just gets stressful and tiring after a while. And then once you get out into nature, it's, it's never like that. It's always like, it just feels awesome. And you see so much wildlife, it's so much more interesting than like uh, being crowded in school cafeteria with like 600 kids. It's like, it's just uh, like, some, like I'll get home from school and just be so drained. Like I'll just fall asleep because it's just like, you're just around so many people. There's so much stimuli. It's just nature's so much better. <laughs> Gotcha. So, um, I guess to kind of like close this uh, podcast here, like, do you have any, uh, I guess, words of advice to or encouragement to get people to go outside and better their lives? I guess I think improve their mental done. health or whatever. The best time to do it is uh summer, warmer months. Unless you live, uh, even if you live up where it gets cold, then uh, skiing and similar activities are really, uh, really good. It's just so good to get outside. Plus, you can. If you're doing outdoor activities, like some, like if you're just exercising, some people like that, but it can be a chore. Well, if you're outside skiing or uh, like if you're hiking or snorkeling or doing something fun like that, it's a really physical activity. So you're getting exercise, but at the same time, it's extremely fun, interesting. You get to be out in nature, which has tons of scientific benefits, proven benefits to your mental health and physical health. There's still so much we don't know. Like we came from nature so we can't just like leave it behind it, we, we rely on it for a lot of like we pick up chemicals and pheromones from trees and things that naturally correspond to like higher serotonin levels like there's all kinds of information like that out there to show that uh nature is just so important to our well-being appreciate you coming on thanks for uh taking the time out of your day to no help problem. me out with this uh, project nope.